Welcome to Church 213. Thanks for listening to our sermon series titled Unseasonable Fruit as we go through the fruits of the Spirit and explore biblical examples of each one for us to study how God works in us through the Spirit. Thanks for listening. we're celebrating on this day is September the 23rd, 2007. As you've seen and heard, there was a group of people that, um, that stood on the edge of the boat of faith, and they just jumped in. I mean, they, 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 jumped, they jumped in the deep end and planted a church from scratch. And, um, and I'm going to tell you, that took some courage. You don't do something like that unless you are absolutely convinced that what you were jumping into has substance. Amen? If you've ever taken a big step of faith, man, you know what kind of courage that is. It's been said that church planning is the extreme sport of ministry. And uh, I want to welcome Dr. Larry Cheek and his wife Kathy, and they were very instrumental in uh, church planning and helped strategize this ministry right here. And he can contest that is the extreme, extreme sports of ministry because when you, when you plant a baby seed of ministry in nothing, you don't have anything to hold on to but God's promises and, and answer prayer. And when you, when you plant a church and you hold on to that, really what you're doing is you're dreaming a bit, you're dreaming a dream so big that it would absolutely fail unless God was in it. But isn't that the prayer for all of us, really? That we should dream a dream so big that unless God was in it, it was over, and, it, and this church would not be as vibrant and as healthy without the pioneers that, that I'm talking about had to put the spade and, and dig the hard ground. And so for my heart and, and for the ministry that this place is to my family, for those of you that were, have been laboring faithfully, moving that equipment from school to school, from house church to burn down church to, to uh, I mean, the pioneers of Church 213, Man, thank you. Thank you. I mean, thank you for, for the labor of love that, that it took. And, um, but I don't want us to stop. I don't, amen? I don't want us to stop. We're going to keep going. Because my prayer for you is this, that I want you to imagine, yeah, we, we know where we've been, but imagine where we can be 15 years from now. And my prayer is that unless the Lord calls you home to heaven, or unless there is a clear call of God on your family and on your life to help another ministry and further the gospel, that you would lock in here and you would serve Jesus to the one to, who paid my debt. Amen? To, to, to the one that, that I owe it all. That you would serve the Lord through the ministry of Church 213. We're all transitional believers, really. I like to say we're all transitional. As pastors, we're all transitional pastors. Because this is not our home. And so we are locked in here. If God has, has led you to this place to serve, you, you hold your hand to the plow until the Spirit of God takes you somewhere else. Amen. And the, I mean, life with purpose. Make no mistake. There, there has been an agent that's been causing all of this. I mean, we live in that reality of cause and effect. You know, you, you get it. it. It dominates our life. See, for example, you forget your morning coffee. 
it has effects. If you forget your anniversary, it has effects. Blowing your horn has effects, right? Y'all with me? The, the famous 17th century mathematician and philosopher Gottfried Leibniz said this, and he believed it. The fact that there is something and not nothing requires an explanation. I believe that. Church fathers have stood on that. Church 213 is, is, is built on that. And it's the same argument for an uncaused cause. The song that we just sang was just that. It was, it's a picture of the gospel. The uncaused cause. And that uncaused cause is the agent for me. And it is the agent for you. And it is still the agent for what God is going to do in your family and families in this community as Atlanta continues to move down the I-20 corridor. The agent that is still causing life change is the God of the Bible. Period. That is the agent. That is the agent. And we are Church 213, a Christian community who believes for it is God who is working in us to both will and work according to his good purposes. Life with purpose. That's the goal of the creator. For the creation to function as designed. And y'all, when that happens, and that created thing brings forth life, it brings forth purposeful a product. God is the cause. And the effect is called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, um, there's some really good seasonal fruits out there. You guys wait on them all year. I know I wait on them. I've already talked about that sweet corn that hits in early June. I mean, that will change your life. But think about that, that sharp, acidic, that first vine-ripe tomato. You know, you wait on that thing. You know, you, you watch it grow. It's expensive, that first one, because everything, all the cost that goes into growing those plants is right there in that one tomato. So you slice it thin, and you put it on that bread, and you put the mayonnaise with a little bit of salt and pepper. Oh, man, that is a party in your mouth. That seasonal fruit. What about that first summer, that juicy, red-ripe watermelon? You wait on that seasonal fruit, don't you? Or that crisp Granny Smith apple. You wait all year to get temporary exposure to those fruits. But here's the best part. If you allow the God of the Bible to will and to work in you, it does not have to be seasonal. You can experience the goodness of God spring, summer, winter, and fall. Y'all write this down. First thing on your sermon guide. There is no limit to the amount of spiritual fruit God will produce in a willing and working believer. That's the story of 213. Look at the fruit. There is no amount of fruit. The Spirit of God, it can work in us, it can work work in us, and it can work through, through us whenever we want, as much as we want. And there is not a better, more peaceful, more productive more fulfilled life than that right there. That is life with purpose. That's exactly what it is. When, we, when, when you lock into that, there is no greater purpose, power, and peace in life than living according to the design of our Creator.
If a hundred billion stars are going to sing out goodness, so will I. Amen? There was this lady, and she had lived in the Louisiana Bayou her entire life with no power. And so finally she heard that they had run power in her area, so she reached out and she had them run, them a, run her a line. And so they ran her a line out there. And six months goes by, and the power company, they ran a report, and they realized that in six months that she had, she had, only, been, she had only used one unit of power. And so they thought, oh, there's got to be something wrong. So they send this service guy out. And so he walks up and he knocks on the door and, and um, she comes to the door and he said, ma'am, um, how's your power? Is it working? She said, oh, oh, yes, it's wonderful. It works great. He said, well, I, what are you using it for, if, if, I, if I may ask? And she said, well, you know how dark it gets out here in this bayou at night. She said, so I turn on that power long enough to see where I can light my kerosene lamp because it's so dark. <laughs> and see, here's the thing. We were made for his good purposes, but not on our own human effort. When we, when we try to live according to the purposes of God on our own human effort, we, 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 can, just, we can just imagine how much strain. We're, we're, we're not tapping into the power that we have. Look at what God's done for the last 15 years. But here's what I want you to know. That is an old hallelujah. That hallelujah is still there. But God is about a new hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. To God be praised. It's the same in every language. That's what will cause us to take that next step. And I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want you to just live a kerosene existence is what I'm saying. And a lot of people go through life like that. Just barely tapping in. They've got their ticket. They've got it punched. They think their home is secure in heaven so they can ignore the glory of God on earth. Man, they're missing it. And so what I want to do is I want to roll into the fall. I want to roll into the fall of the brand new series that's called Unseasonal Fruit. A study of God's work in us. I mean, that's kind of been the theme of the day, that God has willed and worked according to his purposes through us and in us, and we tap into all that he can do. So I think it's appropriate. So the way we're going to be doing this is I'm going to be walking through the fruit of the Spirit and looking at, at each, each element and someone in God's word that actually lived this thing out in real life. Because if we're going to take, if we're going to, I mean, you had that old hallelujah, all those things are fantastic, but man... 15 years from now, we want some new pictures of growth. Amen? We want some new water stirred. We want some new marriages restored. I want some teenagers' lives to be changed. I want families and in, 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 in the generation to be impacted. I'd like to have, in 15 years from now, just, just so many more new things that God has done because he's on the move. He's setting up his kingdom through us. And so, what I want to do is, uh, is lay out, lay that, lay out the fruit of the Spirit. But before we kind of lay out what we know is the fruit of the Spirit, we need to get the context of it all. Context is king. Amen? So let's stand together. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Talking about unseasonal fruit. A study of God's work in us. A study of God's work in us. Give you guys some time to get there. It's New Testament. You have the Gospels. 
and then you have Acts and Romans, and you have First and Second Corinthians, and then you roll into the General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay. Galatians chapter five, starting in verse sixteen. Um, I think we've got about this many guys. Verse sixteen says this. I think Pastor Don has already read this a little bit. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, the word of the Lord says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us not also, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. You guys can see this. Unseasonal fruit, study of God's work in us. What's going on right here? Well, the writer here uh, is the Apostle Paul. Paul was the greatest missionary the world has ever known, certainly outside of Christ. And what Paul did was, just in, in, uh, in way of introduction, context, is he planted many of the first congregations around the southern, southern uh, Mediterranean, around the mid-first century. This is kind of southern Turkey right now. Y'all get the kind of where you are geographically. And the way that he established most of these churches was through temporary visits, and then these follow-up letters, which are called the epistles, the letters. This is one of those letters. Galatia was the region <clears throat> that would have circulated these letters to different pockets of Christians. Y'all, this was early material. This, this was 4956 A.D. That, that was a haul back, back, back in the past. But what I want you to know is, think about this. Jesus was crucified in the spring of 33. So these, these believers in this area, they were firsthand followers. Y'all get this? That where they were receiving, there is no ancient text that has passed the test of reliability and authenticity more than the Bible. Out of an abundance of caution. How many times have we heard that? Out of, out, out of an abundance of caution, it is unprecedented the amount of detail that went into preserving these texts. See, there's, there's some 25,000 manuscripts preserved. 6,000 of those manuscripts are ancient um, Greek New Testament fragments. 
That blew your mind, didn't it? I can see it. You're like, whoa. Okay. In comparison, think about this. One of, one of Aristotle's famous works called Poetic was written, written in the 4th century B.C. Guess how many manuscripts are left of that? Five! And the closest one that we even have is 1,400 years old. I can see that just blew your mind. Let me make that connection. Some of the fragments that we have of the New Testament are less than 30 years from the original. Nobody, nobody questions Aristotle. There's five left, 1,400 years since it was written. But yet they will question the authenticity of the Bible. It is solid as a rock. There is no other ancient text that has been so labored over to prove its authenticity than the Bible. And see, here's the thing. Paul was taught directly by Christ. And that's important because the theme of this letter was establishing his authority to speak into the life of those Christians and, re and rebuke the participation of the false gospel. That is the only reason that I pray that you feel at peace sitting under me as your pastor because I sit under Jesus. It's authentic. But a lot of church leaders don't. That's when ministry gets off the rails. My goal is to open this text and expose it, but never leave my finger off of it. Because this is our grounding rod. Amen, church? And what we have seen is, is the foundation laid by Stan and Nancy Patterson, a dedication to the truth of the Word of God will produce a work. It's the cause and effect that grips us. See, the Galatian churches, here's the deal. They had been fooled by false teachers called Judaizers who had infiltrated the thinking of those early Christians and it was running rampant through the church. And the thinking was this, that Christians have to use an Old Testament law code that God set up for the Jews to follow. You know, they had to eat certain things. They had to, they had to um, follow certain calendars and festivals and holidays. You know, you have the circumcised and uncircumcised debate. And what these things were setting up to do was because God was getting ready to signal that the, I don't want you to miss it, God was getting ready to signal to the world that the Israelites were his people. The law was set up by God to set followers apart for his good purposes. But catch this, church. Because of Christ's sacrifice, there's no need to practice the law like that anymore. Write this down. Here's why. Christ's death fulfilled the law, so the Spirit of God will now set believers apart for his good purposes. Right? Where are the ribs? It is not a sin to have sauce on your chin. Okay? The Spirit of God says, get after it. The Spirit of God is now what sets believers apart for his good purposes. God's grace and freedom in Christ is now available for all people, regardless of what you eat, whether you're circumcised or not. There's no need for any more work to be done. There's nothing we can do to make us good enough to earn the righteousness of God. Only Christ can do that. That's the picture and the story of the gospel. The hymn writer says this, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, 
child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all, all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I what, church? Oh, sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thy alone came and changed a leper spot and melt the heart of stone. And that's where we find Paul in Galatians 5. He is pleading with these believers to understand that they are free to serve God because of Christ, adopted by the Father in Christ, and have an inheritance coming from the Father like Christ. There's no need for the strict rules anymore. Because the Holy Spirit is now active in the heart of the believer to do the same thing that the law was doing in setting things right and setting us apart. Now we're just doing it in a different way. Life with purpose according to the Spirit of God. So the question is, so pastor, what in the world does that, does that look like? What is that Holy Spirit, that agent of change, what does that actually look like for us? Paul lays it out in Galatians 5. Look at verse 16. How can we have unseasonal fruit? It lays it out right here for us. Verse 16 says this. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you've got the context of the law, right? It's the same principle. God is setting apart things for His purpose. Now He's doing it through the Spirit of God that was given to us. Here's what I want you to notice. The Spirit helps a believer move forward. That's the question that we're answering. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be the agent of change? How does the Holy Spirit actually, how does it actually work in you to change us, to be that agent of change? How does it work? Well, it helps us as a believer to, to move forward. It helps you move forward. The word, the word, you see it, the word is walk. It's an action word. Walk by the Spirit. Think about walking. When you walk, J-Man, you with me? When J- this is Jeremiah. I call him J-Man. When J-Man walks, what he's doing is he's changing lo- what actually usually runs. Why do kids run everywhere they go? But when you get to a certain age, you don't want to run anywhere. When you, when you move, when you walk, you're changing location. You're moving from one place to another. If you think about it, God has designed our bodies to move forward. Really, I mean, we have the ability to move left and right. We can move backwards, but we are designed to move forward. If somebody, um, if somebody challenges you to a race, a foot race, and they say, you have to run backwards and I'm going to run forward, you're not going to take that challenge, right? Because you know that you're, you're at a disadvantage when you try to move backwards. Y'all with me? Pick it up what I'm putting down. Walking in the Spirit, here's what it does. It, it involves direction and dependency and dedication. When we walk, we do it because we're headed somewhere. You know, I mean, I think you do get a certain age where you walk into a room and think, why in the world I just walked in here? I'm there already. So you start trying to think back. But what you're doing is you're moving forward. You are, you are moving in 
a direction. Well, when we walk, what do you also do? You put one foot in front of the other. You lean all your weight on the one leg for every step. Well, that's dependency. Walk by the Spirit. It takes direction. Uh, it takes dependency. And then when you walk, you're intending to go somewhere. You can't walk by taking one step. It takes continuous steps over and over and over, right? With direction and dependency. That's dedication. And so what we see is this. I think it's on your notes. Direction and dependency and dedication are the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's the only agent for positive change. This is not a self-help message. This is how we are to live our life for the glory of God as he's working in our life is the agent, cause and effect. He is the cause. That's how we get there. And it's not anything new. It's not a New Testament idea. The Spirit of God has been working as an agent for change for, for, for all of eternity. Look at, um, look at Genesis 1-2. Genesis means beginning. This was in the beginning. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. If you take the word hovering and you look at it in the original language, the Hebrew word that's used means to vibrate or to flutter. The idea is, is like a mama bird that's nesting over the egg and she flutters her wings. That's, that's the mental imagery that's intended for us. Y'all got that image? Isn't that so cute? You know, that mama hen that's up there and she's, she's fluttering. Everything is getting settled. You know, it puffs itself. She puffs herself out to hover over. And what that means is the Spirit of God is hovering. It is, it is active in our change. So the Spirit of God was, was fluttering. It was vibrating over the surface of the waters. And it was in that vibration that science has now proven that you can change physical objects with certain amount of frequency and vibration. It's incredible to see. So what they do is, the scientists, they'll, they'll take, they'll take um, like the, the surface of a speaker and they'll put sand on it. Just dump some sand. It, it's, it's erratic. It's, it's all mixed up. And they will turn up the frequency and they will allow that frequency to vibrate and that sand will, will make art. It'll make perfect circles, perfect squares, different diamond triangles. Just with the frequency. That's what's going on in Genesis. The, the vibration of the Spirit of God was fluttering. And we, we, you begin to see the oceans part. And you begin to, to see, you know, in, in days one through six, you, be, you begin to see the creation take form. Science has proven the validity of Scripture. But here's the thing. The Spirit can remain neglected as a member of the Trinity. God is three in one. There's three unique persons divinely that make up one essence. To try to understand the Trinity will make you lose your mind. But I like to say to deny it will make you lose your soul. It is absolutely in the Word of God. And His personhood is evidenced all throughout the characteristics and actions of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is a person. An active agent. 
What we see in the New Testament, he's always existed. He was there with the Father. The Spirit convicts of sin. It strengthens. It equips us for good works. It gives us peace. It sustains us. It purifies us. He unifies us, guides us, directs us. Scripture says he's our comfort. Jesus even said, I have to go away. Someone greater than me will come and comfort you. That was the counselor that he was talking about. means an equal part but a different function, helping us in our weakness. And so when we trust on the Son, when we believe in the Son, the promise is that the Spirit of God comes and it dwells actively in our lives 24-7, 365. It doesn't take over us like a trance. It is forever active in our life all the time. The Spirit of God flutters around us. It settles. That is so comforting to me, right? That is so comforting to me when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in a situation, I'm in, maybe I'm in the pickup line and, and uh, life has dealt me a bad set of hand, a, a cards for this particular day. When I'm experiencing something that I never would have imagined, I can take comfort that the Spirit of God is like a, it's just like a big, a big hug of the hug of the Spirit fluttering around me, causing change inside of me. See, when the text talks about walk, it's talking about the conduct of a believer. Now, we're gonna have ungodly desires because we live in the flesh. It's the tent that we're wrapped up in. But notice, what I, what I want you to see is, Paul says, we will not move forward in faith by using the flesh. That can't be the agent for the change. See, one of two things will move you forward in every decision you make. Either the flesh or the spirit. Either one. That, that, that's the only two options you've got. And if you think about it, in both cases, the, the, the cause and the consequence is outside of your control. The only thing that you can control is the choice. The cause is either the spirit of the flesh, and then the consequence is outside of your control as well. If not, then you could always control the consequence, but you can't. What you can control is the choice. It's the choice that you move, you use to move forward. Are y'all with me? So if the Spirit of God is the agent for change and you are moving forward, I like to tell my family, life's full of decisions. Make as many good ones as you can. Make those decisions in Christ, in the Spirit, so you can move forward. And when we walk by the Spirit, what it means is we, we try to please God over pleasing self. Desires of the flesh means we, we please ourselves over God. We please ourselves independently of God. It's like this. It's like that fish you pull out of the water and you put that fish in the boat, that thing, it's going to be all wiggly and it's going to get all floppy. You with me? Can you picture that fish is flopping in the boat? Why? Because it's outside of its intended environment. And that thing can flip and that thing can flop all it, all it wants. It is not going anywhere, right? Why? Because it's trying to be fishy in a non-water environment that it wasn't created for. And that's what we do when we try to live in the flesh. Living, living for Christ in the flesh is exhausting. You know it is. Why is it exhausting? Because all you're doing is just flipping and flopping. 
You're not going anywhere. People ask me, Pastor, what's the will of God for my life? Seek ye first the kingdom of righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You just live by the Spirit in this moment. And then in an hour from now, do that again. And do that again after lunch. And do that again at, at supper. And you go to sleep meditating on the promises of God. And you get up tomorrow and you make another good run by the Spirit. And I promise you, with every fiber of my being, in 10 years, you'll be exactly where God wants you to be. Because you are walking by the Spirit. You're not running. You're consistently and dependently just taking that next step. That's what Church 213 has done. We had no idea this would be it when it was planned in September 23rd, 2007. But you know what? The pioneers of this ministry, led by Stan and Nancy Patterson, continue just to take that next step by the Spirit. And look at you now, bunch of fine folks. That's where we are. You got to walk in it persistently and consistently. So how do we do it? Well, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. The Spirit of God helps you see the flesh. That's the Spirit of God helps you see the flesh. The Spirit of God helps you move forward. We got it. But the Spirit of God also helps you see the flesh. Look at verse 19. Hey, don't let that, the, the, the grits and gravy set in on you. Okay, y'all hang with me. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Y'all see that? That's an important word. It's, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the idea is, is just what I said. It's seeing. The Spirit of God hovers and vibrates over us so that we can see what we need to see. Years ago, I was at a small group Christmas party. And the husband was a military guy, and, and he had recently got home from deployment in Iraq. And it was about that time in the party where the ladies, you know, they kind of chat and talk, and the guys look for something destructive to do. Y'all, yeah, you know, when you get together, you know, you, you know the guys, you know, you mingle co-ed for a while, and the ladies will kind of do their thing, and the guys looking around like, okay, what's on, what's outside, who's got a firearm? You know, you just... You start looking for stuff. And so we were at that moment in the party, and the guy who, who, uh, who, who looks at us, and he's like, <clears throat> hey, guys, y'all follow me. We're like, okay, we've been waiting on this. And now he was a gadgets guy. He was an engineer type guy. We didn't know exactly what he had to show us, but, but I knew in my heart of hearts this was going to be good. <laughs> and, so, and so all of us, you know, like little ducklings in a row, we follow him, he opens the door, and we go down the basement. And it was so dark. I mean, we, we get down there. It was, it was so dark, it was, it was like you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Literally, that's, that's how dark it was down there. So we get down the basement, and out of this bag, he turns a little flashlight on, and out of this bag, he pulls these night vision goggles. And all the guys are like, oh, yeah. Now, 
These things were unbelievable. I mean, they, when I say military grade, they were. You are not getting these on Amazon. I mean, these, these, these were the real deal. And I did, not, I did not dare to ask him how he managed to get those from Iraq to Newton County. I didn't care at that point. Because all I knew was, was how clear those goggles made that darkness made me proud to be an American. <laughs> I'm like, if our boys have those, man, I can sleep good at night. The enemy has no chance at leveraging the dark if I've got that type of equipment on the battlefield, battle cleats right there. And so we all went outside. We all went outside and we took turns putting these things on. And what I found myself doing was, you know, they weren't these little that type. They were like that type of things, you know. So I would put those things on and I would look and then I would take them off and I would, and I would try to see what was in front of me and I would put it on. So I found myself putting them on, putting them off, putting them on, putting them off, looking out at, at the way it would make it so clear. The reason that I did that was because in order for me to see the clarity, I had to have something to compare it to. You see? That's where Paul is. What Paul is doing is he's explaining the cause and effects of the flesh because he's about to compare the cause and effects of the spirit. He's shining the light on what is obvious and observable so there's no confusion of how we're supposed to be walking. When I put those goggles on, I could see what was obvious and I could see what was observable because I was walking with them on. I was intentionally making that move. And that's the idea here. If the Galatians were going to walk in the ugliness of the flesh consistently in a lifestyle, they could not enter into the kingdom of God because they had yielded their lives <coughs> in the wrong direction. Let me, let me just let me clear up some theology for you. When it says in verse 21, envious, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar, I am warning you about these things as I warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The word that I want you to focus on is the word practice. The text uses the word practice. The Greek word for that is parasso. It means to exercise, catch this now, to be busy with, to carry on, to commit to. What, what the, the word that it, that, it, that it doesn't use is the word act or commit, which would be poieia. Poieia means a singular event. And that's important for me, to God be the glory, because the point is this. Paul doesn't say that those who commit this act periodically... Because we all stumble. We all fall short of the glory of God from time to time. We all, at some point, might find ourselves squeezed right here between 19 and 21. But that is not the idea of the text. The idea of the text is he's talking about a habit in walking in these things. Because when you walk someplace, there's commitment. Y'all with me? There's intentionality. And you commit to it because it's important to you. You know what, there are times where I fall short of the glory of God, but such conviction comes over me through the Spirit of God that I don't want to commit myself intentionally. I don't want to practice those things. I want to run and walk in the Spirit 
in the forgiveness and the freedom that the blood of Jesus brings to us. Amen? That's what walk, that, thank you, J-Man. That's what walking in the Spirit is all about. You're committed to what's important to you. And when you stumble, if you've got the blood of Christ applied, you get up, you shake it off, you get back under the fluttering, hovering of the Spirit of God, and you move forward in victory. Write this down. God desires unseasonal fruit in our lives that set us free from our flesh and set us apart in the culture. See, for the person that says, I believe in God, but yet commits themselves to desires of the flesh, what they're doing is they're busy being committed to walking in the wrong direction intentionally. I just, I just can't stand in good conscience at the graveside and give assurance that the person who is before me is in heaven when they obviously lived on earth like they had no interest in living for God. I can't square that. When you intentionally commit and, and, and desire and practice going in the wrong direction, it's kind of out of my hands at that point. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, church, don't commit yourselves to the things that define the Roman Empire. That's the context. And I don't know if you realize it, but the Roman Empire is a mirror of America today. I mean, it is, it is, it is scary if you follow the decline of the Roman Empire. We are right there at the end stages. We better get ourselves together. We better get ourselves under the Spirit of God. Here's the thing. What God wants us to see is we are to walk in a different way. And he's saying, so those sins of sensuality, don't you, don't consistently, intentionally commit yourself to those things. The second kind of uh, group is, is sins of superstition. That's what the Romans were doing. They were very superstitious mediums and and uh, you know, exposing yourself to, to trying to tap into the, to the darkness of the underworld. It's like you, you're walking by the Spirit. Light and darkness have no place together. And then the last set are, are those sins that affect relationship. It's the social. So he lumps them all together. And just in case he missed one, Paul's like, and all the other stuff. Because the reality is, there is not a sin committed in here that we all don't struggle with. And the flesh can get very creative, can it? It can get creative. And so Paul says all that other stuff that walking in the flesh will create, don't even go that road either. I don't know what, I don't know if you can think it up, but if you can think it up, don't you do it. Walk by the Spirit. It's the grace of God that hovers over over us so we can see things clearly. I don't know if you realize conviction like that, but that is the grace of God to point out things that, that we should not be walking in. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And what the, the Holy Spirit enables, enables us to fulfill is this. He, he's able, he, he enables us to fulfill the law by trusting Christ and then enables us to overcome the flesh. Man, we should not neglect the Spirit. The last thing is this. So if we're going to live life for His purpose for the next 15 years, we have to let the Holy Spirit help us produce some fruit.
to produce some fruit. The reason I put those goggles on at night is so I could have something to compare it to so I knew where to go. The grace of God provides the Holy Spirit for us to show us which direction to go so that we can remain set apart for His good purposes. And so the cause and the effect, the effect the Bible calls fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Let it go. Let it out. Just live it out. Don't try to control it. Just love people. Don't try to control it. Just be patient. Don't try to box it in. Just be self-controlled. Be gentle. Be kind. So what kind of fruit is it? It's singular fruit. It doesn't say fruit of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's what God produces in us as a whole piece. It's a package deal. It's what walking in the Spirit produces. See, it's one... Catch this, it's one thing to, to overcome the flesh and walk away from going down a dangerous path, but it's something else completely than being godly. And here's what I mean. I know people that say, <clears throat> I'm good with God because I don't do this like that person or I don't do that like those people. That's not Christianity. That's empty superficial legalism really is what that is. Ne I'm saying negative goodness isn't enough in a life. It's the positive qualities that are evidenced out on the limb of your Christian walk. It's not just not doing these things. It's what's being produced in you by walking by the Spirit. The effect of being with Christ is what produces the peace of your salvation. You've got peace because you know a tree by its fruit. It's there. You should be bearing fruit. I shouldn't have to scratch my head looking through the membership roll and go, I really don't know. If, I mean, they're here. I'm just not sure if they're a believer. I should know, right? I know that you're here. Some of you brought breakfast this morning. There wasn't a question when you walked in with a casserole dish. I wonder if they're here this morning. I wonder if they brought anything for breakfast. No, it's evidence. You ought to be able to see the fruit in your life. And there's, if there's no fruit being produced from your life, it's time to take a checkup. Am I actually walking in the Spirit? Do I have a relationship? The question is, can anybody see the beautiful graces of the Spirit in your life? They ought to. They should just flow out naturally. Because that's what fruit does. When you think about the qualities of the Spirit, they're alive, right? The, the qualities, <clears throat> they need active nourishment. That's what fruit does. They depend on living water. That's what fruit has to have to produce. When you think of work, man, you're talking about straining. When you think of fruit, you think of beauty. You think of quietness. You think of just something that happens naturally. I don't ever go out and say, Man, I, these shrubs, I, I really don't want to work and make them grow today. What I say is, I don't want to have to trim these things. That is the effort. That's what machines do. Machines 
They don't, they don't make fruit. They produce things. It requires work, right? It's, it requires effort. When you're walking in the Spirit, you can't help it. But the Spirit of God allows the fruit of the Spirit to just pour out on people, right? You can't, you can't hold it in because it's attached to the living water. That's what walking in the Spirit produces in a believer. It's producing, it's producing something that the flesh can't produce. A lost person can fake peace, pay, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We can fake it for a while, but it's just not sustainable because it's not rooted in living water. Jesus says this. We see it in Luke chapter 6. Flesh can't produce spiritual character. Only God can do that. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What goes down in the well, what church, comes up in the bucket. And so God has been setting things apart for his good purposes since the beginning of time. And the Spirit of God has been setting up this ministry for his good purposes for the last 15 years. And on my watch, it's going to continue to be set up for his good purposes for the next 15 years. And so the question for us this morning is what are you allowing the Spirit of God to do in your life? Where are you allowing it to take you? My prayer is that you are walking by the Spirit because you have a relationship with Christ. Whatever the Spirit of God is doing in your life in the next few minutes, I want you to take that next step. And I don't know what that looks like. But I know the promises of the Word that says the Spirit of God is hovering over you, expecting you to make a change in some area. Maybe... You're a believer, but you're unchurched, you're an orphan, and you want to come and have a conversation about how, about how to be a ministry partner of Church 214. Maybe the Spirit of God is hovering over you and is fluttering over you, and you know without a shadow of a doubt you need to come to Christ in salvation and surrender your heart to Jesus and follow Him in obedience to that commitment and baptism. Man, we had a wonderful ladies' event here. This place was full of the praise of God. We had a young lady give her life to Jesus. Amen. Yes. You know what the agent of change in that decision? It was the Spirit of God. It was the Word of God saying. It was the Word of God preached. It was the love of God lived out. And it changes things when you walk by the Spirit. So whatever God's calling you to do this morning, whatever the Spirit of God is hovering on your heart to do, God knows it. Because he laid it on you. He's working in your life. I pray that you have the courage of that conviction to actually do it. Let's stand together, church. Fifteen years. You look good for a young teenager. I can't, I just can't imagine all the things God's going to do for the next 15 years. And from my heart, I want to say, I want you to be a part of it. You've got to, you've got to, this is, good, this is good soil to sow into. God, God has a purpose for you the next 15 years. 
Maybe your commitment this morning needs to be, you know what, Pastor, unless the Lord takes me home to heaven or clearly gives me another assignment, I'm all in for as long as God would have me here. Not to give to, not to serve 213, but to give and to serve Jesus through the ministry that, without a shadow of a doubt, is meant to be here. We've been, we've been tested in the fire, and we've come out refined like gold. Amen. What's the Spirit of God doing? I hope He is. I hope He's moving. Let's pray together, church. Father, you are so good to us. God, we can only imagine beyond our wildest imagination what you are shaping and you are planning and you are ordaining in your sovereign hand over this ministry. God, for the freedom that's going to be experienced in that life of the person that, that needs Christ, maybe it's not even here today, but you see them. You're chasing after them. God, you're the hound of heaven and you are drawing people to yourself. Lord, I pray that we would be equipped enough to, to receive and to disciple. Father, for that mission opportunity that's out there that we don't even realize yet. God, I pray that we would have hearts and, that are pure and hands that are clean, Lord, that we can, like your word says, we can ascend to a place where we can discern your will for our church so clearly. God, for that marriage that will be restored, if it is being restored, for that purpose that's being infused into the heart of a teenager and a young person, God, you are the agent for change. You hover over us. God, I ask you never stop fluttering in your goodness and your hand of favor and covering us with this ministry. God, draw us up close to yourself. God, continue to expand our influence, Lord, but keep us under your truth, the blood of your Son, and the message of the cross. God, don't let go of us. God, thank you, Lord, for what the enemy meant for evil. You meant for good. And nothing can thwart your plan in our lives. God, thank you, Lord, for setting us apart for your good purposes. So God, help us be a bringer, to be an inviter, to be an introducer. God, help us to enter the mission field of our lives every day so we can experience you in a fresh way. Lord, we need a fresh touch. God, our land needs a fresh revival here, Lord, and it starts not in the White House. Lord, it starts in this house. God, it starts with my house. God, I pray that you would help me be the leader that I am called to be, Lord. Help me to be dependent upon you my good shepherd. God, thank you, Lord, for using me. God, thank you for using us. I thank you, Lord, for your hand over us. Hold us in the next few minutes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the Spirit of God doing?